Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. On today's episode, I have an amazing conversation with Michael Norton. Michael is trained in the Enneagram, is an Enneagram coach, and I ask him to explain to me what the Enneagram is, how it came to be, and what all of these strange words are that people use when they talk about the Enneagram. It's a really fascinating conversation. He actually talked about the Enneagram in a way that I've never heard it explained before. And so I think it'll be just some fun takeaways, some interesting takeaways for you to maybe gain some further insight into yourself and make some changes or realize some things in yourself that maybe you want to start doing something differently because of what you learn in today's episode. Let's dive in. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. These are the four areas of attraction, or as us insiders like to call it, the pies. Join me, Kimberly Beam Holmes, as we speak with other experts around the world on how to become the most attractive that you can be. Create confidence and find happiness. We will teach you how. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. People ask me all the time, Kimberly, which area of my pies should I focus on first? And the answer to that question is the one where you need to see the most growth. That is why I have created an attraction assessment. This free assessment is designed to help you learn what areas of attraction you should be working and focusing on first. This will be the foundation of your journey to becoming a more attractive person to your spouse, to your friends and family, but most of all, to yourself. Click the link in the show notes to take the free assessment today. Michael, I am super excited to talk to you because Enneagram has been something that I have had a lot of questions about ever since, ever since it came about. And honestly, you might find this funny or you might find it the strangest thing in the world. When I first started hearing people talk about the Enneagram and these numbers, I was like, what cult are these people a part of? Like, well, it I'm is a, a cult. Nerd. It is a cult. I thought that's what it's a I cult. I thought that's what everyone knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's what you were here to talk about. Yeah. But it does sound so strange. It's like, I'm a nine yeah. with a wing one. And it's like, what yeah. are these people talking about? So yeah. I know a little bit about it, but I know that this is something our listeners love diving into, knowing more about themselves and all of the things. So the, the first question I want to ask you is, where did the Enneagram come from? Give us the history of it. Um, so the Enneagram, uh, the origins of the Enneagram are, are almost mystical, uh, in that way that they started, the Enneagram emerged from a spiritual practice. Um, and it's not necessarily associated with one specific religion or one specific kind of, uh, faith-based space. Um, in short, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the initial Enneagram, uh, symbol, uh, comes from a, a Sufi mystical tradition, um, and uh around the 13th century this this image first appeared um 
that looks nothing like what we know of the Enneagram today, but the symbol itself uh, sort of started bringing in this concept of nine. There's nine, uh, nine types uh, or, or nine um, uh, vices, um, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, but it wasn't really until the 20th century um, when some researchers and some kind of uh, spiritual researchers and also some psychologists started getting a hold of the Enneagram um, and uh, started to incorporate it um, with a lot of the contemporary concepts of psychology, as well as uh, maintaining some of the spiritual um, traditions of it. So um, it's not really been associated with any particular faith. Some faiths, you know, like to use it, but um, the origins of it are, uh, in essence, it was, the thinking is that it was an oral tradition for a long time. It was spoken um, between uh, different people as a way of uh, sort of a, a path to personal growth. And then uh, it started really getting written down in the 20th century. Hmm. So you said that the the symbol of it kind of has those nine elements to it. Yeah. But is there, was it that they created nine numbers to fit the symbol? Or is there a, a reason why there's nine other than that? Yeah, so this gets into kind of some of the the theory and the numerology of <laughs> uh, what the Enneagram is. But um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there's sort of a, a sense of perennial philosophy that shows up with the nine types. Um, so perennial philosophy being that there's like um, principles of philosophical growth and of spiritual growth that are iterated throughout the Enneagram um, that also reflect in different schools of like, how to grow and be a better person and how to wake up to consciousness and, and how to have a sense of a wider connection to the world. Um, and those nine types uh, show up um, in patterns in lots of different ways. So the, like you said, it's, it's all a cult. Um, no, it's not really a cult, but, <laughs> but there's the, the symbol of itself um, is uh, it's a triangle. And then there's um, uh, and that's the, the three, six and nine. And then there's um uh, sort of a path of seven, what's called the law of three and the law of seven. And the law of seven, uh, is one, four, two, eight, five, seven. Um, and in numerology, that's sort of a repeating pattern. Um, and three, six, nine, uh, represents sort of a triad, uh, you know, which shows up in all sorts of philosophical and, um, uh, religious spaces. So there is a sense of balance and harmony that sits within the nine types. Um, and there's, the, but there's also a sense of uh, that there's what shows up is that there are nine different vices, nine different ways of suffering that um, I guess we've never found more than nine and we've never found less. So uh, something fits into these nine different types. So I have never heard anyone say the suffering piece when talking mm. about the Enneagram. So yeah. <laughs> is every number associated with a kind of suffering? Yeah, so we call that the driving emotion or the passion, the virtue, um, the oh, sorry, the vice, uh, the filter, the listening filter. Sometimes it's called. Um, I'll refer to it as the the passion today. Let's say and passion in the sense of um, like uh, I remember a teacher taught me this. Of it's not like passion, like it's what gets us excited. It's like passion in the sense of the passion of Christ, the suffering, right? And it's. Um, so, so it's the, the source of our suffering. So each type has uh, a word that we associate with the, the source of our suffering. Um, 
And in terms of how that works in relationships, sometimes it's really nice to identify or not nice. Sometimes it's useful to identify what it is that, that tends to sort of motivate our way of creating our own suffering and how we might be able to sort of soften that and uh, work to find a little more balance. I think it's starting to make sense. So when I think about Enneagram, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to figure out is what is the, and I think you might've just answered this, but what is the, the driving factor of how these things are created? So if we look at the disc profile, for example, like Mm. it's a quadrant, right? It's base, it's, um, it's measuring how quick someone reacts to things and Mm -hmm. how cold or warm their temperament is. And so based on that, there's four. Or when we look at Myers-Briggs, there's four mm-hmm. things it's measuring, and it's measuring whether you're on the positive, you know, like on one side of that or on the other. And mm-hmm. so when I'm looking at these other types of personality tests, if you if you will, yeah. there's that's kind of how it's created. It's you, it's measuring these certain things, and based on how you answer those certain things, you'll fall into a certain quadrant. But it's really basing, like all of the other ones are basing it off of processing style and the way people communicate with others, right? Like that's mm-hmm. overly simplified, but, mm. but that's kind of the things that they're looking at. So with Enneagram in the test, mm-hmm. what is the Enneagram test testing that helps it decide what a person ends up as in their number? Yeah, great question. And... um there are lots, just to sort of say, there are lots of different like tests out on the on the internet, and there's different different styles of typing. Um, I work with the Enneagram group, and we uh, on our website, which is enneagram.is, we have a website, uh, uh, a test that we've developed, and that test, what we really focus on is motivation. So um, sometimes these tests that are that are sort of uh, personality identifying focus on behavior, and for um, you know, like you mentioned Myers Briggs, for example, Myers Briggs is a brilliant tool. Um, that is based on uh, a lot of Jungian um, theories of cognition. So it, it tends to for, sort of focus on the way that we we think and behave through our mind. And the Enneagram really wants to tap into uh, all three centers of intelligence. So the mind, the heart, and the gut. Um, and so when we do these tests, what we're looking for is not so much the behavior. Like, for example, um, I might procrastinate my friend might procrastinate, my boss might procrastinate. But what we're looking for is the sense of why, you know, one of us might procrastinate because we're, we really experience doubt all the time, we are uncertain. And and so we, we just tend to not make a decision. One person might procrastinate because they are really just driven to have fun and pleasure in life and anything that gets boring, they just don't do. And one person might procrastinate because they need data before they make a decision. And so they need to wait, sit back and gather that data. So it, the, the, the challenge of the Enneagram is not to overload on the type descriptions that show up. A lot of times it's like, um, you know, a nine is slothful and they just lay around and they don't do anything. And I know a lot of lines that are very, very productive, but their productivity is a way of going to sleep is a way of numbing out to other things. So. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess, what I would say and sort of as a distinguishing characteristics of how we type. And um, we also do a lot of one-to-one typing. So, you know, we have conversations with people and a lot of that is this perennial why. Why do you do that? Why do you, you know, what motivates that? Um, Interesting. And you're looking for one of nine things. Yeah, in essence. Yeah, there's there's uh, these, you know... Um, 
I, I talk about the, 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 um, the passion of the type, um, but there's also habits of mind. There's certain ways of thinking that each of the, uh, each of the nine types tends to sort of get stuck in. Um, and then if you look a little bit deeper, there's going to be some particular defense systems. Uh, what we do when we, um, are feeling sort of protective or when we sort of fire up that defensive, uh, mechanism, um, that each of the nine types represents differently. And is that where it comes in when people say when I'm healthy or when I'm unhealthy? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, that, that, uh, you know, that's a continuum, this like healthy and unhealthy. And I think that it, it, there is a sense of, you know, when you're in health, a lot of times, you know, you know, when maybe you're a little stressed out or you're, you haven't really taken much time for yourself. And the, the Enneagram would just say that you're going to present uh, your, your type, your superpower of your type is also going to be your your kryptonite. It's also going to be your greatest challenge. So when you're in a state of health and you're, you know, feeling flow and purpose and um, you're really excited about what's going on, maybe you're in a positive relationship or work is going well, the chances are what's going to be showing up are some of the gifts of your type. Um you know, I'll, I'll think of, for example, that, uh, for a type three, a three is, um, the performer, uh, the three is really focused on, um, uh, goal orientation on success on, um, you know, being valued for, for what they do. And they're great leaders. So a three that's in health just performs really well. They get things done. They motivate a team and, um, the, the projects look great and, and, or relationships look really great. And then a three in unhealth, um, they might get sort of overwhelmed by the amount of work that they're doing. They might start to, their work-life balance might get out of whack. Um, they might start really kind of losing a sense of identity and performing a role that they don't really want to be performing as a way of achieving success. So, it, you know, I think that that's the thing about this health and unhealth is that it's the same tools. Uh, you're just building a different machine with it. Okay, so let's run through what are the nine passions? Yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> okay, here we go. So um, I'll start. Um, I'm going to start with uh, type eight, which is sort of a very Enneagram move of me. But um, the, the way reason we do that is that um, each of the three, th there is a triad within this, which is there's the body types, the heart types, and the head types. So I think it's useful to kind of break that down um, as we describe them. So the eight, nine, and one are the body types, um, which just means that you're, th there's, a, there's a default wisdom in the body center of intelligence for each of the three um, in different ways. Um, so the eight, uh, the, the, um, the passion of the eight is lust. Uh, and uh, I learned about this when I was, because uh, I, I learned German when I lived in Germany for a while. And it's much more of the association of the the, the Lust, uh, which is the German word. Uh, it's not so much about like the American English version of lust would be like sort of sexual. And there can be sexuality in here, but it's really about a sense of lust for life, like lustiness, like uh, energetic driving forward um, movement. And they can overdo it by, you know, not not honoring rest and, uh, kind of just throwing themselves very aggressively into life basically. Um, and I'll just mention briefly the, 
the the sort of the virtue of the other side of it, which would be innocence. Um, so sort of that that kind of softening, allowing for uh, a state of of uh, soft, almost childishness to to emerge. Um, the type nine is a sloth, uh, like I said, um, and that word uh, th there's you know a lot of associations with slothfulness, but but in essence, it's a kind of um, comfort. Uh, the, the way that a nine goes to sleep, the way that a nine suffers is by sort of going into over comforting. And that might be about food, might be about relationship. Nines really merge with other people. So, um, they really want to, to practice, uh, a nine would want to practice, um, a sense of action, actually, right? Action is, is the, the virtue there. So how can you not just merge along with others and, and sort of, sloth out, <laughs> but become sort of fire up your active self. Um, the type one is, uh, the, the passion is anger. Um, which is ironic because a lot of ones don't necessarily identify with anger. Actually, in general, with the passions, it's useful to recognize that sometimes we don't necessarily see them in ourselves at first. Uh, uh, but they, it's because they're so ubiquitous <laughs> in a way that we don't necessarily see them. It's the water we swim in. So for a one, their passion is anger. They're, they're sort of quick and sharp to anger. Um, uh, but a lot of ones repress that anger, uh, because ones are very focused on the right way of being in the world, um, right, wrong and errors. So for a one, there's that sense of serenity, uh, is the virtue there balance, uh, you know, a constant of calm ease, uh, the world is as it should be, not as I force it to be. So those are the, ha those are the body types. Uh, is this useful? Is this sort of the, the what you imagined to get fascinating? Now, why are those classified as body types? Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily have so much to do with the actual um, uh, direct correspondence with the passion, um, but it just has to do with uh, each of us will prioritize a different center of intelligence. Um, and for the nines, one, nines eights, and, and ones, there's a real uh, sort of in sense of like um, direct action certainty um, that will sit at the center uh, of their being. Now for a nine, ironically, they kind of, um, they go to sleep to that. They don't want to know that, but there's there's a real access to that that wisdom from their body in a way that other types don't have. And for a one, they're more likely to kind of repress that inner knowingness, that, that, uh, that kind of direct action. And an eight might overemphasize it. Um, so it's not, none of us are perfect in terms of how we know our intelligence. Um, but I'll carry on with the other ones because I think it's useful to sort of see then in comparison how it might show up with the heart type or the head types. Um, so the heart types are um, uh, two, three, and four. And uh, the, 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 the passion for the type two is pride. Now, that might be really surprising for a lot of twos because twos see themselves as givers. Um, they provide for other people. Um, they tend to anticipate needs before other people know their own needs. And, um, but the result of that is that there's a real pride there in they know better than other people how to take care of things. They want to, they, there's a real sense of, um, uh, they're very proud of how they know how to read and take care of things. And it can drive them to over give or to um, over perform in terms of being um, a provider for someone else. Um, yeah, there's a indispensability is something that twos really love. So uh, it's 
so so the pride can sort of drive that and then the the um the virtue would be a sense of humility a sense of i don't need to be the one that always provides um and uh or i don't need to be sort of uh indispensable in this relationship um so very much from the the, the wisdom of the heart in that uh the the three the um passion of the three is deceit um so, uh, again, a lot of threes might not necessarily relate to that right away, but, but deceit in the sense that they are a performer, um, they will, uh, they're diplomatic threes are really gifted at knowing what needs to happen when that needs to happen. And that deceit is also a self-deceit. Um, they don't necessarily know themselves, uh, uh they tend to over-identify with other people, um, with what needs to happen, who they should be in the room. Um, and how to make sure that they get the approval and success that they need. Um, so the, I guess to no surprise here, the, the, um, virtue would be honesty, uh, practicing, um, a sense that you don't need to be anything other than, uh, authentic and honest in a relationship or at work. Um, and then the type four, which is, I have a slight favorite here because it's my type. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so the four is, um, the, the passion of the four is envy. Um, and envy uh, shows up in the sense that a four really is longing for what's missing, uh, that there's always something kind of deficient. Um, it's what makes us special and unique. <laughs> and fours uh, thus sort of look out at other people, other things with a sense of I envy. I want that. I wish I had that. Um, and the the virtue for a four is this, this balance of equanimity, the sense of, uh, things are even and equal, um, that there is no, uh, some, there's not a, I'm not missing something, uh, but that in fact, we all have everything we need. So those are the heart types. So you can see that like, they're much more focused on connection, um, much more focused on a sense of, you know, even though a three might not necessarily um, feel themselves as emotional, they tend to overutilize that heart as a way of sort of gathering approval or, or wanting to feel a sense of, you know, affection. Whereas the body type is a little bit more focused on control. Um, and there's a little bit more anger within that type. Um, so then the, the, the last three are the five, six, and seven, which are the head types. Uh, so these are the cognitively oriented types. Um, so they really, uh, have this gifted, um, mind, uh, the, the brain center of intelligence. So for the, for the five, um, the, the passion is avarice and avarice is like a sense of like extreme, um, you know, extreme greed, but, and that can be about resource that can be about money, time, um, relationship, uh, private time. Privacy is very important for a five. So avarice shows up as a kind of, you can't really see me, but it's like almost like I think of like kind of grabbing your chest, like kind of bringing resources close, um, keeping things close. There might not be enough. So I'm going to take what I can when I can. Um, and then the, the virtue here is non-attachment, which, um, is tricky because it's not so much the sense of like the kind of the, the Buddhist principle of non-attachment where you sort of like kind of meditate and, and, uh, deregulate yourself from the world, but it's a sense of, um, uh, being open to the idea that things flow freely from we, from me and to me, uh, that, that the natural harmony of the world is that in which there is flow. Um, and then the six is fear. 
so the passion of the sixes is, is fear. They're a very fearful type. They are great at scanning the horizon for danger and thinking of contingency plans, doubting. Um, so they really get driven by that fear uh, to sometimes go into overdrive. They start to fear fear uh, and uh, they can get stuck in that loop. Um, and it causes them to doubt, doubt themselves, doubt others. Um, so the, the virtue to no surprise would be courage here. So, uh, practicing a sense that, um, you have the, the courage within you or the capacity to, uh, not live in a state of fear, to relax your system and to be brave. Uh, and then the last one is a type seven, um, which is, uh, the passion here is gluttony. So sevens are very, uh, they have a, a real desire for pleasure in the world. Um, they want it all. <laughs> they want to taste everything in, in, in a sense. So, so gluttony shows up in that they don't really want to eat the whole sandwich. They just want to taste all the sandwiches on the table. Um, and they, uh, you know, they'll oftentimes leave things half, half eaten metaphorically and literally, you know, they, they, they tend to pick things up and when they get boring, they move along. So that, that gluttony drives them to try more, pick up more, gather more. Um, and the, the virtue here would be sobriety, which is that sense of enoughness. Um, the sense of, uh, I don't need to consume all of the things, um, but I can have a state of a space of, um, yeah, clarity that boredom is not a thing to be afraid of, uh, that the sort of the, the, the even keeledness of life can be a virtue for a seven. So when yeah. you say virtue, does that mean that once someone is aware of how they're motivated, that should be what they start to virtue? Or when you say mm. virtue, do you mean that's organically what people are actually longing for? Right. Yeah. Great. So, um, I think there's lots of different ways of, of thinking about it, but, but essentially, um, the path to growth is to waking up that you will have this passion in your life. It will be the thing that drives you. Even the most awoken, you know, brilliant minds that have been using the Enneagram their whole life, they're still, you know, their passion is what shows up. Um, and the, the, the idea is that your particular path to growth to um, sort of, again, if the idea that, that these things are the root of our suffering, that the virtue is where we can orient our ship. So um, for, for me, I can say, for example, so this envy shows up for me and I get like overdriven by like, oh, everybody has everything else that I want. And um, what I start to do is just like slowly, the, you know, not because... The, the type structure is really talking about your ego structure here. And so I can just let the one who sits beyond that a little bit start to kind of orient towards what if there was a world in which everything was in balance? What if there was a world where um, there is no more than or less than? Um, it's a very challenging thought for me. And uh, you start to develop practices that kind of um, head your ship towards that uh, direction. Hmm. So the wings. Yeah. What are the wings and how do they work? And are you only allowed to have certain wings if you're a certain <laughs> number? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are the cult rules here? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, as I was taught 
the Enneagram has resource points. So um, each type that, you know, that we have this symbol, and I talked a little bit about the sort of the meaning briefly of, of the different lines, but the lines really do mean something. So you're connected to um, multiple types. So the theory of the Enneagram is that you are always one type, uh, whether it's pre-birth or early, early uh, childhood I'm, I'm not a, a developmental psychologist. I'm not going to stake a claim there, but you are your type. Um, and, uh, well, let me say that you are not your type. <laughs> you, you lead with your type. Um, so the, the work of the Enneagram is starting to access some of the other resources that you might have in other types, um, and start to actually play with the tools that come along with other types. So, um, you know, the real process of the Enneagram is starting to, to loosen up your individual type structure. I think this is where the, there's a misconception about the Enneagram is that it's like, uh, I'm a type two, so I give, so I should give more. Um, or I'm a type seven and I like to, I'm, I'm, I like to taste all of the world. So I should make sure that I have, you know, 35 vacations a year. Um, actually what the Enneagram is saying is, um, you're, we're not putting you in a box. You're already in a box and the Enneagram is going to support you to step out of it. So all of that to say with wings, wings are your resources. So, uh, wings are what sits on either side of your type. So, uh, you know, nine has a wing of a one and, or an eight. There's different theories about how they work. Um, I operate from the place right now where I feel like I probably have access to both and they show up in different ways at different times of my life. Um, but there's, there's no concrete theory there. I just like to think of them as a resource um, that you probably can tap into. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll say about that is that there's also the lines that emerge from your type. We call those, um, yeah, again, resource is the simplest of terms. Sometimes they're called stress or security points, uh, security lines. And those are also resources that reflect on your type structure. Um, we don't need to get into that today, but just to know that like, uh, I always like to think that it's like you get the the sort of the the first little number and then there behind it, there's this like little secret invitation that like actually there's four other numbers that you're connected to as well that can really help you to sort of grow and be a more compassionate human in the world. Hmm. So when you say lines, you're talking about the triangle. So it would be the number, yeah. the numbers, I'm drawing it with my hands, the numbers like <laughs> catacornered from yours. So if you were yeah. a one, it would be what a four and a seven. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like a, how do you describe this symbol uh, with audio? I feel like we're going to get ourselves in trouble here. But yeah, basically, if you, I would recommend all of you listening to go and have a look at the enneagram picture for visual orientation here. And then it's um uh yeah so the 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 direction of um uh stress is. Is one, one to four, to four, four to two, two to, two, two, to eight, two, eight, eight to five, and five to seven, five and then seven, seven, to, one. seven to one. So that's, so that's uh, and again, there's and again, there's, there's some some, some some different languages that people might use, but but that's the sort of the stress line. And then security is the other way. So four goes to one, one goes to seven, seven goes to five, five goes to eight, eight goes to two, and two goes to four. Now you never said three in there, <laughs> right? Because they're a separate, separate loop there. Oh, so, it's a new uh, loop for different. 
You were doing the one loop. Gotcha. Right. So three, six, nine, three, six, nine are their own closed uh, triangle there. So gotcha. the way that it works is um, three goes to uh, six in security and six goes to nine and nine goes to three and then vice versa. This is fascinating. This mm-hmm. is a lot, but it is fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're we're kind of bumping up to like beyond one hundred and one here yeah. a little bit. But I love it. This is the... a little bit. That's probably why. I mean, so what do you do on the Enneagram dot? Is do you do coaching? Do you do courses? I think you have a quiz there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what we provide is um, the main thing that we provide right now is testing uh, and type typing services. So the two main things that we do is we have a, a test that you can do that's. Um, it's a $20 test, uh, and it's a questionnaire. You, you select between a couple of different, uh, statements and you select what feels most true for you. Um, I hear a lot of people who take that test and they say, well, it's both or it's neither. And that's great. That's kind of the point. Sometimes they're not necessarily directly oppositional. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess one thing to say about typing is, um, Typing is a personal decision. <laughs> Discernment is is your task as an individual. So what we can do is we can lead you towards what we're hearing is this. And that's what the, the individual test will do. We also um, facilitate tests. So uh, we you can take the, the, the questionnaire and then we will do a one-to-one facilitation with myself or one of my uh, colleagues. And um, that's like an hour long where we talk through some of the these motivations and also gives you a chance to learn more about the Enneagram and kind of do a bit of a deeper dive. Um, we're also warming up to start doing more classes teaching. Um, so watch this space. Uh, things are coming. Um, yeah. Yeah. So lots, lots is going on, but there's also some basic resources there. If you've got questions about the types, want to know about the motivating principles, um, all of it can be found there too. Absolutely. So up until, today talking to you. So the past couple of years when friends or people have talked about it and asked me, what's your type, blah, blah, blah. I've taken a couple of the free ones online, right? And it's always either a three or an eight. Like these are the two that, that kind of just came out Mm. together. But there's a couple of key things I heard you say today. And I'm like, I'm a three because (laughs) I, however, (laughs) I hate the word deceit. Like when you said that, I'm like, "Mm -mm." Uh I would never think that. But I'm definitely the person who's like, how can we do what needs to be done? Like pull it together. Um, what do I need to do to make it happen? Like I will do what's expected right. of me in order to hit the goal that needs to be happened. Right. Like that's right. totally me. And I'm de- right. when you said when they're overwhelmed or like unhealthy, so to say, then they feel then they feel overwhelmed. Like that's what they mm. begin to feel like what, and that's mm. exact. Those are the words that I say about me. Like either yeah. I feel great and my relationships are great and everything's cracking perfectly. Or I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. Why am I doing any of this? Like I right. have to be able to get some kind of hold yeah. on what's expected of me. And that's a word that comes up a lot in my conversations with mentors and friends. I'm like, I just feel like there's a lot of expectations of uh-huh. me right now. Yeah. And I can't commit to all of them. And then the other interesting (laughs) thing is this triangle because um, I don't know how it all works yet, but I am, I can easily become a very anxious person. 
But also, I am the kind of person where um, you said something about the nine, how they like they can be super productive so that they can sleep. And I've mm. s- literally said to my husband before, I do all of these things so that when I hit bedtime, I feel like it's done and I can get better mm. rest. So I'm like, there's something there. I would love to dive mm. in and understand that mm. more, but something is in this correlation that, that's yeah. jiving with me. Yeah, for sure. And and what the Enneagram would say is that in stress, which I actually find, um, I work with um, a lot of people in workplace environments. And um, for a lot of us, our stress type shows up at work uh, in a way. Um, I know that for myself, so I'm a four and my, my stress type is uh, type two. Um, so what I would say is like, when I'm in work, I oftentimes am like serving other people. I'm taking care of other needs. And like, I love to create an indispensability. Like that's like my, my, my gift with work is like, you could never fire me. I dare you, you know? <laughs> so for you, there's, you know, the, the, the three goes to nine in stress. So, so that sense of overwhelm, uh, might lead you to a place in one of the theories around this is that your type structure no longer works in your environment. So you go to your stress type and it's a resource, but it's, it's in some ways draining to go to that. So for you, the nine would be, um, this like, um, uh, you know, desiring comfort. So in a space of overwhelm, you might want to sort of like get comfort, create harmony, merge with other people, like balance. Right. And, uh, and I also just wanted to say one of the things that, that, really would distinguish um a three from an eight in sort of this this question that you're having is that a three is really going to want to achieve that success and get the things done and it's important for them to get that approval it's important for them to be seen and recognized um in that whereas an eight is much more motivated by like sort of direct action and fairness like it's a it's respect is important to them but it's not so much, you know, eights are very much, they are who they are and there's a directness there. Um, and they, they're motivated by a sense of like, they're, they're in an unjust world. They're sometimes even they're at war with the world. And, uh, threes is much more diplomatic. Like they, they want to have smooth, even efficient, hardworking worlds. And like you say, they're great at getting things done before they go to bed. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a three and he was on this like miraculous, like, um, basically building a house, getting it done. And like, it was like in the, in the nick of time, he got like everything ready. And like, it was this like dynamic, incredible effort. And I was talking to him afterwards and I was like, of course you got it done. You're a three. You just, that's what you do. You wouldn't not get it done. You're it's your gift. Your gift and your curse. <laughs> and your curse, exactly. Because that's the, the curse of the three is that they are they are um, human doers. Mm-hmm. They are uh, the sense of a, what is a vacation? A vacation is where you check your email less. <laughs> yes, that is right. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> so are there any of these that are more common than others or any that are more rare than others? Or are they all just mixed? Yeah, I've heard like rumors <laughs> of this. Uh, I think there's maybe some thin evidence to suggest that there are like more nines. And I think some, probably some four decided that there were less fours because we want to be special. But, <laughs> but it's not, there's not like, um, uh, 
Uh, there's not like a, oh, a diamond in the rough would be a two, but most of us are sixes. You know, no, it's, it's pretty, my experience is that some industries will overemphasize certain things. Um, like, uh, you know, uh, type, type one, which is really sort of committed to, 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 uh, finding error. Uh, they're very focused on right, wrong, pretty controlled. Um, I work in a lot of creative industries and there's a little bit less of ones that I see. Um, but then I also do typing in a lot of sort of business and like finance and, and tech worlds. And there's tends to be there a little bit less of a four, maybe just cause, um, fours really crave authenticity and, uh, like are driven by, uh, passion and melancholy. And those aren't necessarily qualities that are like celebrated <laughs> as yeah, much in sure. different industries. So there's some industry specific stuff, but also you'd be really surprised at how, you know, some of these types feel like, like a three, for example, you'd think a three is a leader. And everybody's going to, um, every organization is going to be led by a three. But in my experience, every type is a great leader. Every type shows up at all levels of an organization or, um, the other question I get asked a lot is, are there good pairings? You know, should like sixes and ones make sure they, they, uh, are a couple. And there are great examples of every relationship of every, um, combination. I think the reality is, is your stuff is going to show up no matter who you're with. Um, so the Enneagram offers some tools to, to be with your stuff and your partner to be with their stuff and for you to sort of have some compassion for both yourself and them. I love that. Well, Michael, <laughs> thank you so much. I know you talked just a minute ago about the, the testing that you have, but tell us one yeah. more time, where can our listeners go find out more about you? Maybe take the Enneagram test and all those yeah. fun things. Yeah, great. So our website is uh, Enneagram.is, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the, you can book the 20 buck test there, uh, if you wanted to, to give that a try. Um, and if you're interested in doing a one-to-one -one facilitation test, um, right now, the best way is to, uh, send us an email. So info at enneagram.is, and we can set that up for you. Great. And that's is, and as in dot I S dot I S. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Enneagram.is. Yeah. Yes. And we will include that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening, Perfect. no matter where you are, you can go and click that easily and, and get to that. Michael, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I appreciate your time a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Kimberly. This is really fun. Here are my key takeaways from today's episode with Michael. There are so many different types of personality tests and assessments that you can take out there. And all of them are interesting because they can give us a little bit more insight into why we do the things that we do. I think it's interesting the way that Michael talked about Enneagram being understanding what motivates us and understanding what, as he would say, the virtue is on the other side. So maybe as he went through his description of each of them and what the passion is that that type, that number would experience and what the virtue is on the other side, then here's what my hope is for you, that you would have heard that and said, hmm, there's something to that that maybe I should begin working towards being more like that. Maybe if you said, you know what, I really do find my identity in helping a lot of people. And, and maybe that is coming from me wanting to be indispensable. What is it that could lead you to realize that that is not where your worth is, but your, your gifting may be in helping people 
but that's not where your worth is. And you don't have to help yourself crazy, lose your mind because you're helping others so much, not having time for yourself or your family or others. What can help you to rest more in knowing that that's a gift you have, but it's not what you have to do all of the time in order to have worth and value. And I could go through that for every single one of the numbers, but maybe you had some great insights. I know I had a couple that, that I found fascinating and will definitely just keep in mind as I'm, as I'm thinking about what does it look like for me to have a great hold of my schedule and my worth when when I do want to achieve, when I am motivated and wired that way. But what does the flip side of that look like where I can learn to rest more and I can learn to be more engaged with my family and maybe achievement doesn't look like the way achievement needs to look. So that's my main takeaway for you. When you're thinking of working on yourself and becoming the best you can be, What are some things that don't look like achievement, but look like you becoming a better version of you? And we can use these nine things as a starting point to maybe give some realization to things that we didn't notice before. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember to follow It Starts With Attraction anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more positive change we can make for relationships and for individuals around the world. For show notes, updates, and the opportunity to join our email list for encouraging weekly strategies for you to become the best that you can be in all areas of your pies, go to piesuniversity.com. Again, that is piesuniversity.com. Keep working on your pies and always remember it starts with attraction. Attraction.